We are changing gears and getting back to our series that we started last week that we called The Journey. Um, and I don't know, uh, you know, depending on, on where you are in your walk with God, in your journey with God. And again, I always want to acknowledge that you may be sitting here this morning. In fact, I hope that there are people sitting here this morning that are, that are in a stage of their journey where they don't know what they believe. They don't know what they're convinced of. So you're, you're here to ask questions and to explore. And, and you are so welcome. And I hope that we can play a part in helping answer that question. So, so depending on where you are in your journey, you might have been in a relationship with God for many, many years. The longer you've been on this journey with God, the more I think you will have experienced the ups and downs. Anyone, anyone been in a relationship with God long enough to know that there are some great days and there are some challenging days? Anybody relate to the fact that sometimes you are like, God, I love you so much. And then it could be like three hours later where you're like, where are you? Like, why am I, why am I, you know, my heart is so sincere this one moment and then the next moment I want to kill somebody. Like, I'm so angry. I'm so, anybody relate to that or is it just me and the three people in the front? Maybe, maybe it's a worship moment or maybe it's during a quiet time or, or, or you hear something or read something and you're so reminded of how good God is. And, and so your faith is encouraged. Like, you're up there. God, you are Good. You are true. You are faithful. And then something happens on Monday morning, and it's like, God, I feel like a pagan. I feel like I feel like I feel so selfish. I feel so angry all the time. I feel so. Anyone ever experienced that up and down, topsy turvy roller coaster type of? I, I want to say that if you haven't experienced that, you just haven't been around long enough. Like that's the nature of our journey. In fact, sometimes you feel like the ups and downs are so intense and so fast that you're getting whiplash. Like it's just, it can be so high and then like, wow, like the roller coaster takes you down and like brings you back up again. And it's just like, God, I would just like some consistency. Just help me to be consistent. And I, I'm always encouraged when I think of the personalities in the Bible, which by the way, is a good reason to read the Bible. If this is the only, uh, input, if this is the only food you get during the week, and then even then, it might not be every week, you would starve to death if you approached any other physical need, the way that we, the way that we might approach time with God. You need to be eating throughout the week so that you can be reminded, so that, so that you give God space to actually show you you're not alone. There are plenty of stories. In fact, probably most of the stories of, of personalities and characters in the Bible will help you feel a bit better about some of the stuff that you're going through. And on today, what many around the world remember as Palm Sunday, the the Sunday that Jesus uh, came riding into Jerusalem, the the Sunday before his crucifixion, the Sunday where where people were were celebrating and and ululating probably and shouting, you know, praise him. Uh, As we remember this day, I want to just remind you of some stories relating to this last week, just of some of that whiplash type of um, journey that the followers and fans, and I say fans in the sense that they were like interested, they were curious, and they liked the good stuff, but then maybe changed their mind when it seemed like there was some bad stuff. We, we can relate to some of those incredible contradictions during that first week, and it's actually in that context, and I'll come back to this verse in a little while, but, but kind of the main verse for today is found in John Chapter 16, verse 33, just so you know, for some context, this is, this is not just in the last week of Jesus' life before he's crucified. This is actually in the last moments. This, this, is, this is within um, the last, like not even 24 hours, probably the last 12 hours 
of Jesus' life before he is crucified. So he's about to be arrested. He's about to be falsely accused and tried and, and convicted to death and then murdered, like all on top of it. Like just, just it's, it's this rapid fire. You talk about a roller coaster. The night before, Thursday night, Jesus' disciples are enjoying this feast with Jesus. The next night, 24 hours later, the person who they thought was going to bring hope and victory to their people was dead in a, in a grave, in a tomb. You talk about whiplash? And it's actually in this context. So Jesus, probably within 12 hours before all of this is about to happen, says the following to his disciples, a sim- a simply one verse, John 16, verse 33. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. He's saying, guys, don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. You're going to have trials and sorrows. But, but you can take heart, for I have overcome the world. And what I want to simply encourage you with this morning is that you can actually take heart. You can take heart in the highs and you can take heart in the lows. And the reason I'm talking about the highs and the lows is because sometimes our greatest victories or successes can actually distract us. So, so it's not just the challenges. In fact, I would argue, by the way, it looks like a few people are getting cold. We can maybe turn the air system down a little bit. I love it, but, but I don't want any icicles forming on your nose hairs, so we can turn it down slightly. Um, but thank you, guys. I, I appreciate it personally. Um, sometimes it's not just the, the challenges. In fact, I would argue that probably the highs, the successes, are probably the most dangerous. That's where we can so easily get distracted. And so in, in those moments of those highs, we need an anchor that keeps us grounded in, in what is true and who Jesus is. So, so don't avoid those. Don't be silly. Like, enjoy it. Be grateful for it. Don't feel guilty. But don't lose the anchor that we have in our lives. But then when we're going through these trials and sorrows, it's like, we get, it's like it drowns us. We, we can get, so where this can distract us, this can discourage us to where you feel like you're drowning, and where in this case we need an anchor to keep us grounded, in this case we need a buoy that'll keep us from sinking and drowning. And Jesus is saying you can take heart. Just to give you, give you a couple of examples, in that last week of Jesus' life, if we're learning a couple of lessons from the last week, the first is just to actually recognize the, 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 the incredible contradiction where on the Sunday they were shouting, praise him. And by the early hours of Friday morning, they were shouting, kill him. Same people. Same people. Which is why, by the way, you don't always want to go with the crowd. Just side note. And, and by the way, I think that there's a lot of really good stuff being achieved by some of the protests and, and, and some of the populism that's going on around the world. But, but don't just assume because it's popular that it's the right thing. The crowd shouted on Sunday, praise him. Or, or, or they shouted Hosanna, which, which, which was basically save us, which became a, a, a statement, a phrase of praise. Praise him to where in the early hours of Friday morning, probably many of the same crowd, please don't miss this, many of the same people in the same crowd were shouting, kill him, crucify him. John chapter 12, verse 12 and 13. And by the way, if you've got your phones with you, you're welcome to follow a new version as well and save the notes. It says, the next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. And went down to the road to meet him there. And they shouted, 
Praise God. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. Less than five days later, we read in Matthew 27 verse 20. This is after Jesus has been arrested and he's already been falsely accused. Meanwhile, in verse 20, it says that the leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd. They were persuaded. They were persuaded to murder an innocent man. They persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release you? Because because it was the custom of the governor. Every Passover, which is what we now celebrate as Christians, we celebrate as Easter, every Passover, he he would allow them to choose between two criminals as to who he would show grace to and release. And so I think he kind of found the most raggedy, almost used a bad word, but like like bad guy, uh, etc., you know, kind of, you know, who, who he assumed, because I think he was trying to find a way to release Jesus. His wife came to the morning saying, don't have anything to do with this man. I had this nightmare the night before. I think he was trying to find like, like this obvious story of here's a man who heals you and helps you and provides for you, and here's Barabbas, the scruffy, ragged criminal, lunatic. What does the crowd do? Barabbas. By the way, you read throughout Scripture, it's amazing how over and over and over again, we, not they, we have chosen the negative path, the the untrustworthy over the trustworthy. Israel chose a king when they had God. He's like, you don't need a king. I'll be your king. They're like, no, we want Saul. He's like, no, no, your earthly king is going to drill you. They're going to milk you. They're going to attack. We want a king like everybody else. It hasn't worked out for everybody else. We want to be like everybody else. Can you relate to that? You talk about the ups and downs. You're like, I want to be like them. God's like, no, you don't want to be like them. We can trust him. They went from praise him to kill him. Another example is where they went from faithful declarations to fearful denials. Faithful declarations. And again, I relate to this. And, it's, and it scares me. It frustrates me. It it. It exhausts me sometimes where I can go from this faithful declaration of God, use me, I'm available, I want whatever you want, to, to maybe some version of a denial when the time comes. It's amazing how different their posture was during the last supper and their last stand. The last supper, they're like, we'll die with you. Take, take a look. Very quickly, Matthew 26, verse 33. Peter declared, even if, I mean, this is Peter, right? Everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter insisted. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. It wasn't just Peter, by the way. He just gets all the cred. But the rest of the disciples said the same thing. Again, less than 12 hours later. We're not talking like two weeks, you know, where you had an emotional breakdown. Like we're talking hours later. Ever walk out of church feeling one way, and before you get home, you're like a whole other way? Your family's like, what happened? I thought you... In Luke chapter 22, verse 54, it says, So they arrested him, this is Jesus, and led him to the high priest's home, and Peter followed at a distance. By the way, just to, just to encourage you, Peter, Peter did show some courage to begin with, because he actually, when they came to arrest Jesus, he, he cut off 
one of the one of the, the guards, one of the soldiers' ears. Like he was trying. Peter's like, where's that? Where's that sword? Give me that. Like, and he's like, just, he just hacks. I mean, I don't know how he managed to just do the ear. I, if it was me, I probably would have got in the middle of the head and probably killed the guy because I'm not that coordinated. But he managed to get the ear off. Jesus puts the ear back on and heals him. So it's not like Peter didn't try at first. Again, ever feel like I tried and, and, I, and it worked the first time? What do you mean I have to try a second time? Like that was exhausting, just staying faithful the first time. Now I've got to stay faithful a second time? And it can drain you. Peter followed at a distance. The others didn't even follow. They were like, gone. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was, with, was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted. This must be one of them because he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. You think Peter felt discouraged? Take a look at the next verse. Maybe you've never noticed this before. At that moment, as he denied him for the third time, as the rooster crowed, at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Ever noticed that? I never noticed that until I actually watched that movie, The Passion of the Christ, many years ago. And, 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 and there's a moment there when this happens, and he turns and looks. Like, it became so real for me. Can you, can you imagine that level of guilt and shame as the one who you were declaring your undying faithfulness to. I'll die with you. You screw up so badly, and and at that moment, knowing that he knows that you did, he turns and looks at you, where he's being mocked and beaten and abused. As, as As you fail, he turns and looks at you. You talk about a level of guilt and shame. The only reason I am trying to emphasize is not to make Peter look bad. I'm wanting to give you someone to relate to. Before the roosters, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, sorry, suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. The guards in charge, so as he's running away bitterly, the guards in charge of Jesus began mocking him and beating him. They blindfolded him and said, prophesy to us who hit you that time. The reason that I'm emphasizing the level of Peter's failure and shame and guilt is because there's another comparison in that final week. And that was between the failure of Judas, so Judas's failure, compared to Peter's failure. They both failed. They both, they both doubted. They both, in one sense or another, betrayed Jesus, even Peter, in his own way, he betrayed Jesus. They both actually came to their senses, by the way, but only one of them got back up. The reason that I want you just to think about these two lives for a moment is because every single one of us, if you don't know that you've done this, you, you just don't know it, but we've all failed God. We've all betrayed him, we've all denied him, we've all turned from him, we've all, we've all made mistakes 
And it's amazing how in that moment, your enemy will do everything he can to leverage and maximize on that failure. If you've been around for a while, you've heard me use the statement that Satan knows your name, but calls you by your shame, whereas Jesus knows your shame, but calls you by your name. Both are using both elements of truth, but in two very different ways. And in Judas's case, literally the devil was able to destroy him because he, because he believed that he was beyond redemption. As we'll see in a few minutes, Peter was willing to accept that actually it was possible. And I don't have time to read Matthew 27, but, but it shows us how, how Judas tried to make right. He went back to the religious leaders and he wanted to give the money back to them, the 30 pieces of silver. And they refused and said, like, it's your problem, it's not our problem. Basically, they achieved what they wanted to. And then Judas actually walked out and he hung himself. Do you know how many people lose their faith? So in this journey, because of these ups and downs, how many people actually give up on God because they believe the lie that God has given up on them? I'll say that again. They give up on God because they believe the lie that God has given up on them. If you're alive... God has not given up on you. So, how do we take heart? How do we, how do we, how do we stay anchored or buoyed to, to something that will help us in the whiplash of the ups and downs of our journey? And if we're looking at the last week of Jesus' life, I think one of the practical principles or steps or keys is that we can take heart when we remember that Jesus actually prepares us. Jesus prepares us. He, he warned us us. Jesus prepares us. John 16 verse 33, I read it earlier, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me here on earth. You will have many trials and sorrows. Don't be surprised. I'm not saying don't be discouraged. I'm just saying don't be surprised. I know it is discouraging, but it's a little bit less discouraging when we're a little more forewarned, when we are a little bit better informed that, oh, okay, wait, um, because there's something in our human nature. There is something in our brains that, that says to us, well, if we're serving God, then it'll all be okay. It'll all be easy. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm trying to honor God, well, then I won't face any challenges. And, and Jesus, he's saying, guys, there's going to be, there are going to be many trials and sorrows. So he prepares us so, so you can somehow, somewhat be encouraged to know that he's actually prepared us in advance. Secondly, I believe that we can take heart when we remember that Jesus' presence sustains us. Jesus' presence sustains us. And, and I can't emphasize this enough. This is the most important. If you forget everything else I've said today, this is the most important point. Because we might think, okay, well, Jesus plus a podcast. Jesus plus my own little, you know, pocket-sized pastor. Or, or Jesus plus an intercessor. Or Jesus plus, I'm saying, actually, Jesus' presence will protect us, preserve us, sustain us. Again, within those final hours, like, like just like a few hours on his way. So Jesus and his disciples, they've, they've left the Last Supper. They are now walking to the Mount of Olives and then Gethsemane where Jesus is about to be arrested. On their way, Jesus pauses and he tells them what some of you are familiar with in John chapter 15 where he talks about the fruit and the vine. And in verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. How do you keep heart? 
How do you keep persevering and enduring through bad days and tough weeks? And in some cases, for some of you, painful months at a time. There is no shortcut, silver bullet, quick fix. It is to stay plugged in and planted and and connected to Jesus. Church is a part of that. Your life group is a part of that. Serving and having a purpose is a part of that. But it's all got to be helping you stay connected to Jesus. I've been so uh, challenged and encouraged again lately. Every time I think about it, just this idea of how important solitude is with God. I'll I'll try and think about our young people that go on the stand camp and how impacted they are. Or I think of times in my life where I've been impacted because of a camp or a conference, or especially in some cases where I've actually had to travel to a conference. I'm trying to think, but like, why is this? I can listen to to the podcast. I can listen to the same sessions. I can watch the same videos from that conference. But why is it different when I'm there? I think there are two things. Number one, I think that you um, are actually present in an environment that, that, that is encouraging focus and faith. But secondly, you're actually creating space. You, you are getting rid of distractions. You, you're, you're, you're slowing down long enough. When you commit, especially if you have to travel to a conference, where, where you're committing to that time, it's amazing how that solitude can actually prepare the soil of your heart to receive. So, of course, I'm thinking, okay, well, most of us can't travel to conferences, and, and most of you are not going to go on a camp again unless you're 14. But there is a way. Jesus invites us to follow his example, his model, where on a daily basis you can slow down enough to be with Jesus. When whatever time of the day is best for you, I want to encourage you. You want to know how to hold on to that anchor and that boy when you're being whiplashed with the ups and downs. There is there is no there is no replacement. There is no compensation for slowing down to be with Jesus. And in that slowing, we read the Bible. Notice, I don't say just read the Bible. No, no. It's, I think so many of us, myself included, so often I read the Bible, but I'm so, I'm so busy in my state of mind and being that I'm not taking anything in. So in slowing and solitude, you read the Bible. In slowing in solitude, you pray. In slowing in solitude, you listen to a worship song. Or, or even in slowing down, you come to church. Imagine if you actually, and that's why I want to encourage you with Easter. Come to church prepared to meet with God and to love God and to worship God. Why is it that so many people can be in the exact same environment and some can have their lives changed and others are like, it's the state of our heart. And most of that has to do with the state of busyness. And as we're trying to just cram more stuff in. There's so much more that I'd love to tell you there, but I want to keep moving. Number three, Jesus intercedes for us. He prepares us. His presence sustains us. And by the way, Jesus intercedes for us. In Luke 22, verse 31, Jesus is speaking to Peter. In this case, he still refers to him by his earlier name, Simon. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. By the way, it wasn't just Peter. He'd actually asked to sift them all like wheat. Again, I don't want to scare you, but if you're trying to live for God, do anything for God, don't be surprised that you have an enemy that's actually trying to get permission to sift you. But here's the great news, verse 32, 
but I have pleaded in prayer for you. The Bible tells us that we still have Jesus as our personal intercessor. Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. I just want to encourage you that if you're in a relationship with God, no matter how isolated you may feel, you are never alone. In your darkest moment, you may feel alone. You may, you may feel like you're turning your back on God, but you're not alone. He is actually praying for you. He's like saying, Father, I know what that feels like. I know how discouraging that is. I know how hectic that is. I know how, I know how tempting. I know how, how attractive that is. Come on, he needs a little bit extra help here. We, might, we may have to send a few angels. Father, use your Holy Spirit to, to, to remind them, to encourage them, to, 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 to strengthen the fruit of the Spirit, you know, patience, self-control. God, they need help right now. You have an intercessor. And lastly, number four, Jesus assumes we will try again. Jesus assumes we'll try. I, I, I wrestled over this point, this idea, um, in, in terms of how to word this. But there is this, there is this assumption on Jesus' part when thinking about his followers that when they fall and when they fail, that their faith won't fail. He assumes that you will get back up again, that you won't quit. Let's go back to that scripture we read a moment ago. Exact same where he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you that your faith should not fail. He knew that he was going to fall, but he prayed that his faith would not fail. So he assumes he's going to try again. He says, so when you have repented and turned to me again. He's like, Peter, 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 you're going to be tempted to feel sorry for yourself? You're going to be tempted to think that woe is me, I've screwed up, I'm so worthless and useless and I'm lower than a snake's belly and God doesn't care about me. He's like, no, 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 no. When you have, like, hey, you're going to have to pull yourself together. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to pick yourself back up again. I am assuming that you're going to try again. When you have repented, not if you repent, when you have repented, I want you to strengthen your brothers. Take a look at this video, which I think helps uh, encourage and, and kind of remind us of Jesus' attitude towards us when we fail. Grace is God's unmerited favor for us, His crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle understanding it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. Jesus said you, you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. Okay, I was in the boat and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And so I'm thinking, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net and I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore going, it is I, the Lord, and you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. This is awesome. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on. Peter, yeah. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Good, then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? I love you. Yes. And I'm so sorry about that rooster clucking. I had no idea what that meant, but I do not. I'm better for it, all right? Okay. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, mere words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. 
I didn't even know you had livestock. That is so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. Peter, Yeah. do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know, and we're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep them out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty. And she said that there was an angel there. And the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. And so me and John, we hightailed it down there. And if John says he beat me, he's totally lying, all right? I beat him, FYI, all right, you know? And we get down there, and I'm looking in that tomb, and it is. It is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good with words. He should write a book. He is so good with words. And John said, Don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do, and you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait, the angel said what? Uh, Go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. He said what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. You said my name. Why did you say my name? Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't, I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for no, what I did. No, What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. Isn't that just a powerful picture of the incredible grace of God? Um, That's why I wanted you to kind of first get this picture of, of how severe and significant it must have been for Peter in that moment when he is denying Jesus for the third time. And as that rooster crows... He actually looks at him. I'm sure, I'm sure you know what it's like to have someone look at you where they are disappointed, uh, ashamed. And so I think we put that image onto God. It doesn't say that Peter looked, or that Jesus looked at him with disgust. It just says that Jesus looked, that Jesus looked at him. And so I want to encourage you this morning As we wrap up in a moment, if we we believe the lie that God will not forgive us, we will fall away. We We may not go and hang ourselves like Judas, but we will lose our faith. We won't just fail. We will allow our faith to fail. I want to encourage you that Jesus prepared us in advance. He said there are going to be trials. There are going to be sorrows. There are going to be challenges. He, he's even saying to his disciples, you have an enemy who's trying to sift you. He wants to. So, so, so the enemy's intention is to harm and destroy you. Jesus' intention is to, the only stuff that he will allow, because by the way, if you're a Christian, Satan can't do anything to you without God's permission. Whatever he allows him to do, he has an, Jesus has his own agenda for it to make us stronger. I want to encourage you that you can take heart and you can survive some of those ups and downs in our journey as we allow His presence to sustain us. 
He assumes that we're going to get back up again. He, he assumes that we're not going to stay down, that we're going to accept that grace which is completely undeserved. We can't add anything to it. We don't, we don't get to pay it off. It's not like an HP purchase. You don't, get to, you don't get to pay that debt down. He's paid it. All we can do, all that is left for us to do is to accept it. And then the Bible says to actually bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So it's not just, it's not just this weak grace. It's a grace that changes us. If I don't allow it to change me, then I've got to ask myself whether or not I've actually accepted that amazing 